Good morning. Good to see everyone today. Good morning out there in TV land. Let me pop this open now so I won't have to be doing that while I'm preaching. All right. Um, first, I want to I thank the worship team. Uh, if I hadn't spent so much time preparing this sermon, I would just be like, hey, we're done. What a wonderful time of worship. The, the words are the words that are going to be here, so you, you're going to hear it repeated. Um, the kingdom of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the sovereignty of God, all of that. We got to, we've already experienced that this morning. Um, I am so thankful for this sermon, uh, this series sermon on the Lord's Prayer, because what it has done for me, and I'm sure probably for most, if not all of you out here, and I hope so anyway, is that it has caused me to come out of myself. For those of you who know, I've, I've been going through a period of pain and suffering, you know, and the tendency when we're going through pain and suffering is to focus on ourselves. Let's do what needs to be done to get better, Seski, and, you know, do what you need to do. But God has helped me throughout this sermon series, reminded me that he is my heavenly father, sovereign, holy, seated on high, our Lord Jesus Christ, my savior, my brother, the one who brought me to God. He is there making intercession for me. He is and always will be the reigning champ, the sovereign reigning God of this here kingdom. His kingdom will have no end. He reminds me that he provides for my everyday needs, not just my needs, your needs, but the needs of everyone, even those who do not know him. What a common grace God bestows on those who don't even know him. He provides for their needs. He is the God of mercy. He's holy. And most importantly, God has done all these things. You are here. I am here. The world is here. He created all things. Why? For his glory. Nothing else. Your feelings, my feelings, what we do, what we don't do, it doesn't matter. God did it all for his glory. And he calls us to share in that. Share in the prep preparing of his kingdom. Share in his glory. Give him the glory that is only due his name. And you're going to hear some more of that this morning. But before I go on, let, let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit in our midst. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have already been reminded of who you are. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are King of all the earth. You are our sovereign master. Thank you, Father, for your amazing, amazing love towards your children. Father, I commit myself, my heart, everything that will come out, Father, may it be your words coming through me, Lord God. 
May you speak to those who are within hearing distance, Lord. Will you penetrate their hearts this morning with the gospel, with your word which is alive and true. Father, make it active in their lives, I pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Exalted and hollowed. I'm sorry, John, you're still a little too low. There we go. Exalted and hallowed be his great name in the world, which is created according, according to his will. May he rule his kingdom. May sound familiar. Those words are from a Jewish prayer called the Kaddish. When Jesus' disciples asked, Lord, teach us to pray, Jesus didn't say, like some of us do, I know I do sometimes, just pray from your heart. Whatever, whatever comes to mind. No, Jesus gave the disciples specific requests. He gave them specific words to pray, which we know today as the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. The disciples' question about prayer came from a curiosity that existed in Judaism. Many, rabbi, in Judaism, many rabbis taught their followers how to pray. For example, the ancient Jewish Kaddish part of which is quoted above, shows marked similarity to the first two petitions of the Lord's Prayer. Although historians have not discovered a direct link between the Lord's Prayer and the Kaddish, it is entirely likely that Jesus gave his disciples a form of prayer they knew, his personal version of the Kaddish. Early Christians received the Lord's Prayer not just as an example of how one could pray, but also as a model of how one should pray. The Didache, another Greek word, the earliest Christian book about worship outside the New Testament, records the Lord's Prayer and encourages people to recite it three times a day. This builds on the Jewish tradition of daily prayer and its Old Testament roots. Today, the vast majority of Christians continue to recite the Lord's Prayer. Ask Christians from a variety of denominations how they pray, and you'll discover that they share a common use of the Lord's Prayer. The text, as you well know, comes from Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, and Luke chapter 11, 2 through 4. It records Jesus' prayer with slightly different wording. In some denominations in the Lord's Prayer with the ancient doxology, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you, I will ask that, do you ever carry a lack of confidence when you go before the Lord in prayer? I hope I'm not the only one that does that. Then I, then I need to sit down, okay? Do you ever find yourself wondering what our Father, I mean, does he answer our prayers? Because after all, sometimes it seems as if he doesn't. You pray for an urgent need and crickets. You're waiting. Your time. But we forget thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. When we have prayed the Lord's Prayer, we have prayed a prayer that upon being answered will take us through life 
each day and deliver us safely to our eternal home. Having prayed its address and seven petitions, what more can we say or do than rejoice and praise our Father with a faith that believes he will surely answer our prayers? Go through that prayer in your mind. How could you not know? How could we not know? How could we not think that God will surely answer our prayers? This is what we do in the doxology of the Lord's Prayer, which is a hymn of praise and a confession of faith. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. I'm going to repeat that so many times you won't forget it. You're going to go home singing it. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We all, for some extent, um, I was thinking about this last night and, and something came to mind. I think most of us in here have an appreciation for music, especially this morning when we were listening to the worship. I know we were engaged. I remember uh, I took a symphonic orchestra class um, in college. It was, um, it was called, uh, what was it called again? Uh, it was uh, Music Appreciation, yeah, Music Appreciation. And what I did was I went to, um, I was tasked to go to a symphonic orchestra, Count Basie Theater and Red Bank, most of you know that, and had to sit down and analyze all the musical instruments. How did they make me feel, the emotions, what do you think the, the conductor was trying to communicate, you know, and all of that. And I got a B plus on the paper. It was pretty good, actually. I thought I should have got an A. Um, so, too, it is with this doxology and far greater. We listen to the movement of its melodies and to its rising crescendos, and we feel our spirits being filled with it. And in a very moving piece of music, we feel the excitement of its grand finale, and we, we just hang on the last chords. The doxology is like such a grand finale. The whole prayer is an absolute masterpiece. I don't have to tell you that. Theologians before me have, have said it. Which, teaches, which touches the heart and grips the spirit as we pour out our concern to our loving Savior God and Father. And when we come to the, its conclusion, its doxology lifts us up to a lofty heights of adoration and praise to him who hears and answers us. It brings us closer to God as we come through this prayer and then we come to the end. For thine is the kingdom, boom, and the power, boom, and the glory, boom, forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. If you don't get excited... Check your pulse, okay? Um, oh, the doxology of the Lord's Prayer is a hymn of praise. Numerous doxologies well up within the scripture from the Holy Spirit's inspired writers. Our hearts are touched by such hymns of praise as, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God. For from him and through him and to him are all things. For him be glory forever. Amen. That's from Romans 33 and 36. And then we have, our spirits are also moved by the doxologies of the angels, as are recorded in the book of Revelations. Here we hear them saying, Amen, blessing, 
praise and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever. Amen. Remember that word forever because you're going to hear it a lot. Likewise, in the church of believers of which we are a part has been singing its hymns of praise to our God and Savior throughout the centuries, and it does, and it, does it in the doxology of the Lord's Prayer. It appears to have been added to the Lord's Prayer in early centuries by the church of believers. You would not find this in the original writing. Whose spirit, their spirits were moved by the Holy Spirit to close out this beautiful prayer in such an awe-inspiring fashion. The, the doxology does not seem to have been a part of Jesus' prayer recorded in Matthew, though its words have been included in our Bibles with appropriate footnotes that it was included in later ancient manuscripts. So, the doxology. It's a hymn of praise, an affirmation of God's praise. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This prayer has been a petition all the way through, but when it comes to this point, it is an affirmation of praise to our God. This is the meaning of doxology. It's praise. A doxology is a word of praise to God. It is praise uttered that burst from the soul and has caught sight of the greatness, the goodness, and the grace of God. That's what a doxology is. When something exciting happens and you just exclaim, hopefully, the glory of God. That's you just praising God because he answered that prayer. He met that need. He took the pain from my back. You know, it's like praise God. Now it's significant that this prayer ends this way. You see, the Lord has been teaching us how to pray and what to say in prayer. He has covered the great areas that we need to address when we come into the presence of God. He started by making us think of the greatness of our Father in heaven. He then led us to the step by step through the areas that concern us and speak to God in prayer. Now, spirits conclu- <clears throat> excuse me. Now spirit, the Spirit concludes by bringing us back to the greatness. It's a full circle. He brings us back. It's always about God's glory. If you don't always come back to God's glory, search your heart. You always, no matter what you're going through, brothers and sisters, Redeemer, no matter what you're going through, you always have to come full circle to the glory of God. Is your response, is your reaction, is what you've come to, the conclusion, is the conclusion to the glory of God. If it's not, you need to revisit You need to do some soul searching, some heart searching. It's a hymn of praise to the church, to our Heavenly Father. It is written and sung in praise to God. It's a formal liturgical meaning, and it's it's scriptural. You'll see it, and I'm I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture here. You're going to see every doxology is Scriptural. It has to be. Most of us know at least one doxology. Praise God from whom our blessings flow. That one was from 1671, and it's part of, of a prayer that was sung by children when they used to wake up. 
Praise God from whom all true. Can you imagine your kids waking up? Praise God from whom all true. Blessings flow. You're like, whoa, who is this kid? You know? That's what they did. You know? Um, there are many. How about this one? Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, it is now and ever shall be world without end. The glory of God. This one is used in many worship services and dates back to at least 529 A.D. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever is a doxology that dates back to the Didache. The Didache was written in the first century by the second generation of church leaders, the apostles. It is not in the Bible, but it came close to being included in the New Testament because it is rich in describing the worship service, the organization, and the theology of the early church. The truth is the doxology is an extremely fitting conclusion to this prayer, the Our Father. For it agrees with the scriptures, it, for it agrees with what the scripture teaches us about our Father, and, its end, and it ends the prayer on such a lofty song of praise. When we pray this doxology, we join with the church in all of all ages in praising our Father and confessing our faith. It's not just me. Remember John, Pastor John, this is a corporate thing. It's not my Father, but our Father. Hey, we're kinfolk. That makes us family. It's our Father. Okay? The doxology, it reflects the prayers of the saints of old and new. It echoes the great burdens that the prayer warriors of the Bible had. When David, when David prayed, he cried, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Brothers and sisters, do we make ourselves remember that? All that is in the heavens, all that is on the earth is yours. I lay claim to nada, nothing. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. That's First Chronicles 29.11. And when a, when a Santa Cherub and his army seemed to have Jerusalem at their mercy, Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, enthroned above in the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made the heavens and the earth. Are you seeing a theme here? These saints of old, kings, peasants, whoever they are, they are constantly reminding themselves of the sovereignty of God. You are the king of heaven and earth. You have made the heavens and the earth. Paul exclaimed, now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. That was 2 Kings 19.15 for those of you who are writing, by the way. Um, and then Paul says, now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honored, glory, again, forever and ever. Amen. 1 Timothy 1.17. And then Jude, that one little chapter in Jude, climaxes his brief letter by ascribing all honor to the Lord. Through the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let me repeat that. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority 
before all time and now and forever. Amen. Is, it, is eternity starting to stick in your head now? Now and forever. We are built for the now and forever. God made us for the now and forever. For what? For his glory. For his glory. <sighs> for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. There's three things for the Christian's intent in pursuing Christ's likeness. First, it is that both, it is a commission and it's a mission. We've been commissioned to a mission, okay? Just as a wealthy patron commissions a great work of art or architecture, our Father has commissioned a great project for salvation, the salvation of this world. And it's us. It's you sitting there. We have been commissioned for the salvation. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have accepted him as your Savior, if you say, I am Christian, you have a commission, brothers and sisters. We've been commissioned for the salvation of this world. Wow. But take courage. You're not alone. Okay? We're coming to that. As we have a mission, we are to live out the kingdom. We are to live out the power that God has given out. We are to live out his glory. The second lesson learned in this in our mission, we have been empowered and we are confident. For those who are part of his kingdom, we have been given the Holy Spirit. You're not going through this thing alone. Okay? It's not by might, nor by power. I love this scripture because I, I recite it to myself all the time. It reminds me that I can't go on my strength. It's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Okay? We are possessed by the spirit of God. You know that word possessed used to unnerve me because I saw so many scary movies as, as, a, as a child. But the word has come to take on different meaning for me. I'm possessed by Christ because it, it, it's not a disturbing thing for me anymore. It's, it just it fills me with the truth that I am not my own, that I have a Savior, as weird as it sounds, residing in this vessel. Not in flesh, but in spirit. It's true. I am possessed by Jesus Christ. What God has commissioned, what he has tasked us with, the mission, we are completely able to do because the spirit who does it, because of the spirit who does it through us. God wants to partner with and through us for the purpose of building the kingdom for his power and his glory. We are able to be, we are able to be boldly confident in this mission because we believe. Simply because we believe we were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's 
possession to the praise of his glory. Read Ephesians 1, verse 13. To the praise of his glory. The doxology is now then an affirmation of God's preeminence. For thine is the kingdom. God is controlling all things. God is sovereign. He holds complete power. He is over and above the whole world. I'm, I, I know I'm repeating this stuff, but you need to know. This needs to be ingrained in our hearts because how quickly, how easily we forget when the pressure's on, right? When I just lost my job, when I just found out my kid is doing drugs or drinking alcohol, when I, whatever the circumstance, how easy it is for us to forget that God is in control, brothers and sisters. He is sovereign, okay? Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, found that out. When in his pride and arrogance, he lifted himself above every authority, including God, and God made this fool lose his mind. He lost his mind. He was out in the field for seven years like a wild beast eating grass for seven years. Yeah, that's losing your mind, okay? At the end of those seven years, God had mercy on him and restored him not only to his sanity, but God... How merciful is our God? Though we curse him, though we turn our backs on him, though we do all kinds of things to deny him, he pursues and gives grace and mercy in our time of need. And that's what he did for this king, Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? He restored his kingdom. And Nebuchadnezzar responded by saying, listen, and I bless the Most High. Okay, this is the heathen we're talking about now. And this is, where he, this is what he concludes. And I bless the Most High and praise and honor him that lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none... Can stay, I love this part. None can stay his hands or say to him, What have you done? Can you imagine? God, what have you done? No, no, you can't do that. Okay? Brothers and sisters, things may look as if they are spiraling out of control, but I want to assure you, the Lord has the situation in control. God is still. On the throne. Say it with me, please. God is still on the throne. He is. Okay? The situation may look chaotic now, but one of these days, the king of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Revelation 11:15. read it there. Satan and his hosts will trouble us no more, for they will be cast into eternal Thine is the kingdom. Christ is coming. Are you ready? Does, the, does he rule and reign in your heart this morning? This is, this is me asking you to search your heart and right where you're sitting, do business with God. 
You don't know if this is your last chance to do business with God. Is he reigning in your heart this morning? Is every decision in your life taking, taken in this light? What should I do to please the Lord? What should I do to obey the Lord? What should I do to glorify the Lord? After all, the Bible does tell us, you, me, we are not our own. We've been bought with the price. We are his possession, and I thank God for that. I thank God for that. Do you know that the word preeminence, hold on. Do you know that the preeminence means number one? That's what the word preeminence means. Is God number one in your life? I tell the story of when I first realized that God was not number one in my life. My daughter was number one in my life. And I had to do my wife, of course, was number one. I should have said my daughter was number two. But they took the throne in my life. And I had to do business with God. That one fatal day, I had to decide, God, it's you. I had to. No turning back. It hurt like the Dickens. But afterwards, after releasing... God's grace and mercy and spirit fell. Brothers and sisters, you have to decide if God has preeminence of your life. If there is something else on the throne of your life this morning, <laughs> acknowledge it, please, and give it to God. Give her, give him, give it, whatever it is, to God. And let him know, do work, and let him know he has preeminence. Because... It is for his glory and his honor, not mine, not mine. Those things that he gives me, those children, those gifts, that car, that house, those are graces and mercies. They all belong to him. Do not, brothers and sisters, do not hold on tightly to these things because they can vanish that quickly. Let me stop. <sighs> Notice how this doxology continues. It's an affirmation of God's power. For thine is the kingdom and the power. The psalmist says, One God, once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. We do not serve an anemic, weak God. We don't, and I know most of you know that. We serve a God who is powerful in every ability. He spoke, and worlds were created. Spoke. He didn't even have to wave his hand or nothing. He just spoke, and worlds were created. Okay? 
He issued the same challenge to Jeremiah the prophet. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Jeremiah had already confessed the answer. And it's probably one that many of us here know and have prayed with devotion and submission before God. Okay? Before God even asked him, is there anything too hard for me? Jeremiah had already established, Our Lord God, behold, you have made the heaven and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. And there is nothing that is too hard for you. Brothers and sisters, God is powerful beyond our imagination. And that was Jeremiah 32, 17, by the way. He is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. The power of his Holy Spirit, Ephesians, Ephesians 3.20. It is, is, is this, doesn't this just give you confidence when you pray that God not only hears but as you pray according to his will, come into his presence, he does hear you. He may not give it to you right there and then, okay? He may not hit you with a flash of lightning, but be assured, the preeminent God, he hears you. We praise him in adoration with the words, for yours is the power. To him belongs the might and strength and force which cannot be Resisted or overthrown. The Greek word for power, many of you know it, dunamis, is in this doxology. That's where we get the word dynamite. Okay? With whom, and comes, so we praise him who is almighty, with whom all things are possible and nothing is impossible. As we also read in Psalms 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. What his good will and pleasure chooses to do, God almighty accomplishes. Listen, brothers and sisters, you need to come to terms that you're not in charge. I need to come to terms that I'm not in charge. Every day I have to come to terms with that. I'm not in charge. God does what he wants to do. That's it. Period. Whatever you want to end it with. He's God. Stop fighting him. Also, think about how comforting it is when we are concerned about having necessities of life, when we are troubled by the knowledge of our sins, when, when our sin just kind of like makes us feel yucky and makes us want to run away from God, when we are struggling with temptations, when we are hurt and depressed by the evils we suffer in the world, that our requests in the Lord's Prayer for our Father's aid and deliverance are heard and answered if it were not for the comfort and strength we derive from knowing the petitions of the Lord's Prayer and that they were acceptable and heard, we would fall into despair and hopelessness over all the hardships and the evils with which we must contend in our journey through life as we head to heaven. If we had not built this hope, we would be in despair. And I know many of you can attest to that. Some may even struggle with that still. But God is merciful. He would not let his children wallow in despair. It's not going to happen. Okay? Um, an affirmation of God's purpose. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. What is God's ultimate purpose? 
What is God's ultimate purpose? The glory of his name. Lord Jesus prayed, Father, glorify thy name in John 12, 28. We are never more like Christ than when we pray for God to be glorified. And we are never more sure of the Father's answer. For as soon as our Savior had offered that prayer, when Jesus said, Father, glorify thy name, as soon as he said it, then came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Assurance. The primary word for glory in the New Testament is doxa, from which we get our word doxology. The word is usually translated glory occasionally as splendor, honor, brilliance, majesty. The word glory occurs 400 times. This specific glory occurs 400 times in the Bible. Glory is an outward manifestation of the inward reality. And when the Bible speaks of the glory of God, it means the essential presence of God and all his splendor is revealed of himself to us. Whenever God, wherever God is, there is glory. Whatever God does is glorious. Without God, there could be no glory. And he reminds us of our duty to give the glory of God to the God of glory. Give the glory of God to the God of glory. Whenever you and I take the glory to ourselves, which belongs only to our Lord, point blank, we're sinning. Whenever you take the glory for yourself, be assured, brothers and sisters, you're sinning. Because the Lord says, I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory, and I'm not going to give it to another. I'm not sharing my glory. Come to terms with that. I'm not sharing my glory, God says. So, his affirmation is permanent. Real quick. For Christ says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Do you know what these two words tell us? They tell us that God is eternal. Eternity is what we're talking about. They bring us face to face with eternity and with the God of eternity. Do you recognize that there is an eternity here? Do you know you're not living for just this moment, this day, this time, that you are living for eternity right now? This is the precursor to eternity. You must know that. Okay? And where, not just you in here, those of you who are watching, where are you going to spend this eternity? Will it be with God? Or point blank, will it be in hell? For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. You see, whatever else changes around us, we have this assurance that God is eternal and he does not change. For the Lord God, Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you children of Jacob are not consumed. We live in a changing world, but thank God we have an unchanging Lord. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change with the trade winds of the times like sometimes we do. He's constant. He is constant. He is Emmanuel, God with us. 
Moreover, he has given us the pledged word that he will never remove his presence from us. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. That is the assurance that we have this morning, brothers and sisters. In conclusion, having this confidence that our petitions are acceptable and heard, we ended with the word, Amen. We sung it this morning. Amen. No, the word amen does not mean it's the end. It does not mean I hope so. I hope and wish things would turn out the way I've asked and prayed for it. No. That's not what the word amen concludes. This word suggests two things required in prayer, namely a fervent desire and the exercise of faith. It's a desire that we are going to do God's will, that we are praying God's will, and we believe that God hears us, that faith. Amen comes from the Hebrew word, which means truly, so be it, it shall be so, let it be true. Truly, truly, I tell you. That's amen. So with the words amen, we conclude with the confession of faith. Truly, this will come to pass as I have, as you have said. So be it. It's going to be just like you say, Lord. That's our prayer. It's going to happen just like you said, Lord. So be it. This twofold meaning of the supplication and expectation is plainly hinted at the double use of amen in Psalm 72.10. And blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. God has determined it shall be so, and the whole church expresses this desire, so be it. Amen. Yes, it shall be so. So too we conclude this series of sermons of the Lord's Prayer with the word of confidence and certainty. Amen. So will it be done, Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for meeting with us this morning, Father. We thank you for our time of worship. We thank you for hearts softened this morning, Lord. We thank you for the, your Holy Spirit who has spoken to us, Lord, who has touched us. The one here, Father God, who is still doing battle with you, Lord. Father, May your words have had an impact, a softening, a reassuring, a confidence, a power in their lives, Lord. Father, thank you for your presence in our midst this morning. And as we transition, Father God, into our time of communion, Lord God, of, of taking on the body and blood of Christ, Lord, Father, remind us. Remind us of who we are in this world, what you have called us to. Father, remind us that you are sovereign, holy, glorious God who desires that we fellowship with you, who desires that we fellowship with those around us, who desires that we bring forth the living word of the gospel of truth to a dying world. Father, we love you, we praise you, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.